Welcome into the Friday, January 26, 2024 installment Market Plus. Sean Hackett still with us. Sean, I uh, had a couple of references uh, to songs, and I didn't say them to keep us both from laughing. So I'm going to try not to do that during Plus, okay? Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate that. Because we need to start on a, almost a sour note of sorts. Because, let's be realist about that. I think you were pretty optimistic on many, many things in the, the show. Now I want to take it down a notch and I'll start with William's question. How low will corn and soybean prices go? And give me a couple of reasons why we could go lower. Well, if we plant as many acres as are being contemplated, and if we finally reach trend line yields, which we have not done in three or four years, and if, of course these are all ifs, right? And if the demand for U.S. grains export-wise remains subdued, you know, then you start running the numbers on carryouts, you know, we'd be looking at 3 billion bushels plus corn. We'd be looking at 500 million bushels plus soybeans, numbers we haven't seen, you know, pre-COVID. And so, you know, one could argue what exactly that means for price, but that would be an argument for a considerably lower price level to match an oversupply of that magnitude. But what then drives, I mean, I have my ifs, but let's face it, we always hear about this acreage shift. We're not really talking a lot that gets changed, does it? Not this late really. in the game? Not, not, not really, because when you already put the anhydrous down, you know that is going to corn, you know, and, and, it's, and, and it's not going to... Yeah, you have those acres that can move around. You do. But it's, it's not a dramatic... You know, maybe it's a couple of million acres each way, depending on which price signal everybody's getting. So once that first number comes out, we kind of all look at that as the North Star? Well, you know, the planning intentions report says, you know, this is a pretty good number. Now we can wiggle around a little bit. Do we need to? And if we do, where do we need to wiggle? And then we, we go two or three million acres one way or the other. But it's not what I call a, a game changer. At the end of the day, Paul, we had not delivered trend line yields in a long time. If we do, with however we dance with the acres, you know, and, and we don't see a pickup in export demand like we spoke about, the dollar and other things, you know, then those carryouts are going to go up significantly. And harvest time, which is when you're really talking about what could prices be, they could be considerably lower. My view is the weather that I see happening is not going to allow for trend line yields. We can argue what exactly how low they could be. And my view is if Brazil's crops are as short as I believe they are for soybeans and eventually corn, the exports that we missed out on last year, we're going to gain significantly in the upcoming season. And those balance sheets, which look overburdensome, are going to be less so. And that's how, how I see the market balancing this out right now. You mentioned a February storm. So what does that do in the middle of the country that doesn't have anything planted at that point? Does that even matter? The February call is really not that much of an issue for the planting season. What I'm more worried about is I think we're going to have what's called a fall spring, where you get a really warm April, those planters get rocking and rolling, and then we're going to, I, we think there's a really good chance for a hard freeze here in the first half of May. You do that with a lot of corn and soybeans and, of course, winter wheat being in arm's way, coming out of dormancy, trying to grow yield. That could be a very, very big disruptive force. Think about planting corn in late May with a La Nina back half hot. You're starting to push pollination into the type of the, part of the season you don't really want to. Then we really get going on some stories here. So this is a question a little different to what I want to follow up with. And this is Mitch in Iowa, Sean. What will it take for the funds to exit their massive short positions in corn? And how are you marketing with that in mind? Well, 
the funds are going to get out when they think they are on the wrong side. They may be on the wrong side because weather tripped up them up. They could get on the wrong side because the, the dollar caves in. Big numbers all of a sudden show up from China, you know, flash sales. This is, you know, geopolitics, a number of things could come up that trip them up, that feel, oh my gosh, I am on the wrong side to this degree. We need to get off. And, way, and because computers trade so much of our market, they all get off at the same time. So I don't know what exactly those cattle are. We've speculated on a few. But in any given year, even during the, the 2012, the 2020 timeframe, when we had perpetual three billion bushel carryout for corn, we always had a couple of reasons for the market to find, at least for a brief while, reasons to rally the market. I don't think this year is going to be any different. Let's flip that script to the hog market because there's, a, there's some of that same strategy that wants to be known just about how to do this individually. And this is Matthew's question. When it comes to the hog market, have we hit the highs for the summer months? What should we be doing to help protect us this year? Are we doing some puts, some calls, or, or are the LRPs a better route? I think the LRPs are a pretty good route uh, this time around for protecting downside price risks. Um, I don't think the uh, hog market can really, really trend higher until China gets back into the mix, as we spoke about earlier in the show. I don't see that happening in the first half of the year. I see that being a back half story. What I see in the first half of the year are these temporary rallies we get when the, when the consumer bids up the pork price. And you want to be looking for those rally uppers like we have seen. We've seen a nice rally to put some LRP protection under the market. I think that for your first half of the, of the, of the year strategy is the way I would handle it. And then, and then we look for some more significant upside in the back half of the year. We need to feed those hogs something, and that is soybeans uh, for many. Scott in Wisconsin wants to know, are there too many soybeans or not enough in the world right now? Whenever the largest exporter in the world is harvesting a new crop, there's always too many soybeans right now. Now, is there going to be too many soybeans uh, six months from now? The, the jury's out based upon all the factors that we talked about. But once that crop in Brazil is put away and those that have to sell, sell, and that sort of thing, I think that we're going to find out that we don't have enough soybeans, willing soybeans for sale at current prices. Help me with the insight of the Brazilian farmer more than I know. Do they lock their bins and not sell if the price isn't favorable like we seem to have time and time again here sure in the United do. States? Sure they do. Once, once the, the weak-handed farmer who didn't do what he was supposed to do, who has to sell or the, or the storage, doesn't have the storage and has to blow it out, I mean, the base is in the last two weeks blown out in Brazil for that exact reason. But there's the solid, good farmers that, that, are, that are profitable, that don't have to sell, and they're, you know, they're going to look to try to, you know, they know that the market goes up and down and around, and so, yeah, they absolutely do that. That's the point of the harvest lows, and, and once that crop gets put away and we put it away, and then we start to look at how much lower that crop is compared to what it was supposed to be, I think there's not going to be as many soybeans available at current prices as the demand for that product would be, which means that's how the market goes up. Maybe there'll be plenty of soybeans available, you know, a dollar or two higher, but that's not where we are today. So, You've alluded to this, and I don't know if you've actually, I, have, I know I haven't exactly asked this question, uh, but Kevin wanted to know, will Brazil rains prevent timely safrina corn planting? Will the monsoon rains stop early? This year. I don't really think Monte Grosso, we're going to be looking at delays in corn planting due to rains. I think if they're going to have delays for planting, it's because the soil is too dry. Empty tank, I think you meant. Empty you said. tank. The soil is too dry. They're not going to just plant it all with poor economics. So I think that's more of the issue uh, for 
planting and how many acres we get planted. In terms of the March-April pollination season, we're in what's called an El Nino Modocai, which means sea surface temperatures warm in the center Pacific. When we get that, it tends to deprive Mato Grosso of moisture during March and April. The last year we had that was 2015-16 growing season, and their corn crop had terrible conditions during pollination, and that crop was down 22% year over year. No two years are the same. This year could be different, but I'm expecting a similar outcome in terms of poor production, poor yields, and less acres planted because of dry soil that the tank is empty on right now. You mentioned trends. There's a couple of ways we could go, but this is actually perfect. Uh, John in Quebec's question is, is a good follow. Putting my 20-year December 31 corn inventory numbers on a graph, there seems to be a five- to six-year cycle from low to high. Do you foresee the same going forward? I do not. And the reason I do not is because the weather patterns have changed for the long term, meaning we're in an increasing weather volatility cycle that began in 2019 that the likes we did not see prior to this for decades upon decades. So any pattern that you're looking at, that this gentleman's looking at, is based upon a prior, more docile weather pattern than the one we've gone into. I think the cycles are going to be much shorter in duration in terms of when you get bounces in supply and reductions in supply than a five or six year window. So I think for that reason, his interesting analysis is not going to hold water going forward over the next decade. Because we'd had a discussion in the last six to eight months here of we're very similar to 12-13. And do you don't see that necessarily holding up? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to have a 2012-style drought. Right. Which we haven't had yet. But you could argue we're in one right now for much of the country after, you know, August 1st. I mean, we, we ended up in a lot of dry conditions. Right, but we need that to be July in August, like remember 2012 was a... But June, June was really dry. Correct. And July. But we needed to go into the key pollination and the key pod filling stage. So if you want to start comparing apples to apples, give, my, give, you, give us a 2012 style drought, an 88 drought, an 83 drought, you know, a 55 drought, and then we can talk about correlations to what happens the year after. We haven't seen that yet. Last thing, soybeans. I didn't actually uh, pin you down on a number. We've been flirting with holding that $12 support. Does that finally fall through next week? The way markets normally work, in my experience, is that whatever, whatever price level everybody doesn't want to see broken is broken. It's just the way it is. Everyone say, please don't break 12, please. My suspicion is they're going to break 12, create a final liquidation, during peak harvest in Brazil, and then the market's going to have done its job by getting everybody out at the low and then have your post-harvest rally. That's my suspicion based upon my history of looking at markets like this. We're only getting you out because we're out of time. <laughs> Sean, good to see you. Thanks, Paul. Always a blast. Sean Hackett, thank you so much. Next week, we will look at the expansion of no-till farming practices, and we'll have the commodity market analysis of Chris Robinson. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week.